0: Let's pray together as we ask for God's help. Our Father in heaven, you are our Father God. You are loving and good, powerful, holy and gracious. And Lord, we pray that you'd reveal to us more of who you are in your word today, more of how great the love of the Lord Jesus is for us. Please empower me by your spirit, strengthen me to speak in a way that glorifies you, Lord, we pray you'd open our hearts to the good news that we'll hear today. Encourage us by it. Equip us for living for and serving you with our all. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two years ago, I was deeply blessed by attending a conference in the US called Together for the Gospel, T4G. With over 12,000 people, Kirsty and I sang praise to our Saviour with a sound in that that filled that stadium and brought me to tears more than once. We heard great gospel preaching, and every day they handed out free books. One of those I read on the plane coming home, uh, and it's called Living. First slide, please, Andrew. Living the cross-centred life, keeping the gospel the main thing. Uh, in it, C.J. Mahaney, he says this, the author. Have you ever considered how thoroughly most of us live by our feelings? How feelings-focused we are? In a typical day, how often do you make decisions primarily based on your emotions? And we let, uh, and and we let our feelings tell us what's true instead of letting the truth transform our feelings. We're conditioned to this approach not only by our sin, but also by our culture, which incessantly entices us to follow your heart or do whatever makes us feel good. I add to that that this is true when it comes to us being sure that God loves us. Do you let your circumstances or your feelings dictate whether you know God loves you. If life is going well, I know God loves me, but but when I don't get what I seek, when I don't get what I long for and what I pray for, maybe I, maybe you, begin to doubt God's love. Do you ever doubt that Jesus loves you? We need the love of Christ. And if we're believers, we have the love of Christ. So I pray that God's word today will assure every Christian that Christ loves us more than we know. Back in chapter 1, Andy helped us to see that Paul prayed for the Ephesians to know God better, to know God's hope and God's power. And if you remember, God's great power was seen in raising Christ from the dead to rule over everything. And God's power, chapter 1, verse 19, his power is working for us who believe. And the theme of God's power continues in our passage today. And then last week... In the first half of chapter 3, Andrew Word explained how how huge the good news of Jesus is. It's abundant riches that we and Paul, Paul and we, have the privilege to speak of. Paul was an apostle sent to preach the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 8. He's in prison. He can't preach to them in person And yet he prays for them. And what motivates him to pray is in 3 verse 12. In Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And so Christ, opening the way to God, motivates him to pray. And to say in verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Christ has brought us into relationship with God as Father. All Christians, in all Christian families, in all churches, in all the worlds, have one Father. He's our Father. We're his children. And our good Father gives us, his children, good gifts. So we pray. And when we follow Paul's model, we will pray for things that matter. The things he prays for the Ephesians are great things for us to pray for ourselves and for one another and for fellow believers we've never even met. Paul essentially prays for four things. The first three are highlighted with the word that. So as we move through the text, look out for the word that we'll see Paul prays for power, power for faith and love and godliness and for God's glory. So our first point is Paul prays for power to keep trusting Christ, to endure in faith. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays that out of God's abundance, as we just heard in the children's talk from Ruth chapter 2, out of his abundance, he will strengthen his people by his spirit so Christ will dwell in their hearts through faith. Remember, he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. Christ already dwells in their hearts through faith. They're already trusting in Christ. And so Paul is praying that they will keep on trusting in him even be strengthened to trust him more and more. And it's not only the Ephesians who needed God's strength to keep trusting Christ. We do too. We need to keep trusting Jesus. When life is hard, when we face opposition, temptation, unemployment, sickness, suffering, we can wonder if it's worth it. Is it worth keeping on with Christ? When your prayers aren't answered, when you endure pain or loneliness or loss, when the wait goes on and the hardship doesn't end, we need God's power to persevere. We need the strength of God's spirit to help us keep trusting in Jesus. Do you need that? Do you need that? I know that I do because often I feel my weakness. Faith is not just an initial reliance on Christ for salvation. It continues as a daily personal relationship of confidence in Christ. And he He doesn't only save us from our sins as Lord we believe he provides for us each day and the Holy Spirit loves to strengthen this personal faith through God's word and so when you pray for one another for believers going through hard times don't just pray for healing or for the hardship to end pray for for their faith to persevere, for their faith to grow, for it to be proved genuine. One of the best ways to discover what someone's worried about, what a Christian is worried about, is to look at what they pray for and with what passion. Our prayers express our desires. To be honest, trying to sell our home two and a half years ago, to move house, to come to Bundy, was something that made me quite anxious and exhausted for months. I found it really hard, especially with it being so out of our control, uh, fearing that we'd be left with a debt that we could never repay. I prayed for a buyer over a hundred times, through more open for inspections than I can count. And I know that many of you are enduring harder things right now. You or your loved ones are dealing with illness, mental illness, relationship stress, some are even facing death. And like me, I wonder how many of our prayers are for material and physical things. And that's okay. I pray for those. But Paul's prayer encourages us to lay our hands on riches for our deeper inner needs. So pray for faith to endure and to grow in you and in others. Secondly, Paul prays for power to know Christ's huge love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Can you see that we need God's power to grasp and know Christ's love? And we need to know how great Christ's love was and is for us. Christ's love is wide. It's wide. It it can embrace you, whatever you've done, however bad or immoral or proud you've been, however dysfunctional you are. It's wide enough to embrace the world. Christ's love is long. He loved you before he made the world. When God predestined you, Christian, to be adopted as his child. Perhaps we worry that God's love will give up on us. Perhaps like our earthly father did. But God's love is permanent and it will go on and on and on. It's long enough to last forever. Do you know that? We're also told in verse 18 that Christ's love is high. Christ's love doesn't just save us from hell, uh, but lifts us to heaven. Maybe you wonder if it's worth being a Christian and whether the benefits will outweigh the costs. We'll remember how much God has in store for us in eternity. Christ has lifted us from the gutter to the palace. He's lifted us from hell to heaven. And Christ's love is deep. Our deepest sin can be forgiven in Christ because of the deepest agony that he went through on the cross. Christ endured the depths of torment for you, for all his people, for all who trust in him. Perhaps some of us think of what we've done, maybe repeatedly done, with that person, or to that person, on the internet, or in our minds, or with our words, and we feel too terrible to be forgiven. We need to know that Christ knows the filthy things we've thought and done, but he suffered the punishment that we deserved because of his deep sacrificial love. Don't we all underestimate the scale of Christ's love? Oh, how quickly we forget how huge it is when life is hard. In our trial, our pain or our problems, they seem long and deep. And his love seems distant and shallow. But tell yourself, Christian, that the opposite is true. His love is long and deep and our problems are shallow and temporary. We'll know that in eternity. And while we may not be able to understand fully the depths of Christ's love, God wants us to dwell prayerfully on its vastness. God wants us to rest every day in the reassurance of it. If you've relied on Christ every day, God wants you to remember that you are loved. Even while we don't deserve it, we are loved. His love is wide enough to embrace you. It's high enough to bring you to heaven. It's long enough to last forever. And it's deep enough to forgive every sin of yours and mine. So despite the shame of our sins, the suffering that you endure in the world and the lies of the devil. Remain confident in the gospel. Trust in Jesus and swim in the boundless ocean of Christ's love. Remember C.J. Mahaney's comment at the start that so often we make choices based on our feelings and we let our feelings determine what we believe. He says later, The starting place is choosing to believe the truth regardless of how we feel. As you read and meditate and think seriously about what's in your Bible and believe and accept it, then ultimately you will indeed experience it. You will feel the effect of it. There is heart transforming truth in the scriptures. But if you trust your feelings first and foremost, they will deposit you on an emotional roller coaster which so often characterizes our lives. For Jesus, the cross will bring incomparable and unprecedented suffering. His downward path into unspeakable depths begins to plunge steeply in the garden called Gethsemane. As Jesus lies prostrate on the ground, we overhear him praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup contains the full fierceness of God's holy wrath poured out against sin. And we discover that it is intended for sinful humanity, all sinful humanity, to drink. It's your cup and it's mine. And so in the garden, Jesus is brought face to face with bearing the sin and becoming the object of God's full and furious wrath. And as we watch Jesus pray in agony, he has every right to turn his tearful eyes to you and me and to shout, this is your cup. You're responsible for this. This is your sin. You drink it. Instead, Jesus freely takes it himself so that from the cross he can look down to you and me and whisper our names and say, I drank this cup for you. Behold him. behold his suffering, and recognize his love. An older, godly woman from my last church at Donvale, a prayer war- prayer warrior who 's known much suffering, wrote this poem. The lavish love of Calvary has swamped my sinful heart. For God has slain his son for me, a rebel from the start. A rebel and an enemy, I spurned the God above until he brought me to the cross and drenched me with his love. I saw my sins on Jesus. I saw God's wrath transferred for me, a lifelong sinner to him who never erred. I said, he is my saviour, he paid for all my sin, and there I found God's favour, he came and dwelt within. Now when the tempter troubles and floods me with despair, I go at once to Calvary and point to Jesus there. For on The cross expressed in blood, God's love is plain to see. To Satan's snarl, I state the fact, this much my God loves me. Though on life's path come slander, loss, or failure, grief, or pain, the love revealed at Calvary's cross still works for my soul's gain. He promised he will work all things for blessing and for good. And so my trusting heart still sings of love and Calvary's blood. Pray that you, pray for those, for others you pray for, that we will all grasp the deep love of Christ That's what really matters. It's what we really need. Pray, as Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8, that we will be sure that nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you know and have grasped and been moved by the huge love of Jesus for you, you'll be able to love others. The self-sacrificial love of Christ, seen clearly in the cross, is like the soil which a beautiful plant can grow in. It's the nutrient our faith needs to flourish and bloom so it can bear fruit in love. And this brings us to our third brief point for godliness paul prays that they'll know more of christ's love in verse 19 he says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of god it's a prayer that we would grow more like god paul talks about us being like god in chapter 4 verse 19 being righteous and holy and really paul is praying for godliness and as we pray will grow more like God, I ask, isn't our God a God of love? God is love. So as Paul prays, and we should pray for other Christians to grow more like God, it will have love at the centre. So for that missionary you support, for your brothers and sisters at Bundy, for your Christian family members, for yourself, pray that they will love like God loves. And then the six-year-old will ask another student who's looking sad, are you okay? And they will be kind. The 13-year-old will think before posting something that puts someone down. The 18-year-old will message their church friends they may not have seen, and ask how they're going and and if there's anything they can pray for them. The 22-year-old will look out for their work colleagues and take an interest in their lives. The 28-year-old will love God and choose purity over immorality and not watch screens in their bedroom. The 32-year-old parent will pray for strength to be patient with their challenging child. The 34-year-old will turn up to growth group even when they're tired to love others. Uh, The 40-year-old who is overwhelmed with giving out will know that it's important to rest and seek to rest in Jesus so they will be able to love again. The 60-year-old will talk to their neighbor to find out what they believe about Jesus because they know that God loves the lost and he wants us to as well. The 78-year-old will not grumble or fret because even when death comes near, they're confident in God's love for them. How does God want you to be godly? Are you praying for this? For growing godliness, for growing love? You will have power to love others when you are so sure of and filled with Christ's love for you. So that's good to pray for. Finally and briefly, fourth thing to pray for is God's glory. Paul's been praying the Ephesians will be strengthened in their faith, know Christ's love, be filled with godliness. And Paul is really confident that God can and he will do this and he'll do it for his glory. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be confident that God can do more, immeasurably more than all we ask or even think, even imagine. And I read this verse and I think, I can imagine a lot. Wow, God can do more than that. Have confidence in the power of God to answer prayer, even when you wait and wait. But do you notice that Paul's not been selfish in his prayers? Paul wants God to get the glory forever with all the ways he answers prayer. So pray that God's greatness would shine out in the way that he answers your prayers. Pray that God's greatness would shine out from your life, from the people of this church, and in what you pray for. Maybe you could pray, shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with the Father's glory. We read Psalm 57 earlier when David was running for his life from King Saul, and he described his feelings and attitudes as he hides in a cave. He felt trapped, surrounded by lions. But did you notice that trusting God, he cries out still for God to help him? And he still prays for God to be glorified. Verse 5, verse 11 And he says and he sings, great is your love reaching to the heavens. Verse 10. His example is worth reflecting on because it can encourage us. Pray that God will give you strength to believe he's loving. He loves you even when life is hard or scary. So trust his word, more than your feelings, for his glory. May God give you and those you pray for power to persevere in faith, to know his huge love, the huge love of Christ. Pray too that you will have power to be more like him, all for his glory. How about we pray for that now? Loving Father in heaven, thank you that you loved us in giving up your only son. And Lord Jesus, you suffered the wrath of God for our sin. You drank that cup that should have been ours so that you could lift us from hell to heaven. Instead of being cut off from you, without God, without hope in the world, instead of being your enemies, we're now friends, we're now adopted children. When we doubt your love, help us to look to Christ and him crucified. And Lord, we pray that you'd fill us by your spirit with that love that we might reach out in love to others. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, that you'd strengthen us to keep trusting in our Lord Jesus, to grow more like him, And Lord, we pray that we'd live our lives and that we'd pray our prayers for the glory of your name. And we ask this through Christ. Amen.